The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the College Ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, for the 2016 New Year's Conference. More information about New Year's Conference can be found at newyearsconference.com. All righty. Welcome. Welcome, everyone, to the Singleness Seminar. So the goal, the goal of the seminar today is how to keep you single until the day you drop. So just want to make sure everybody in here is in here for the right reason. Okay, cool. Um, I'm totally kidding. Uh, yeah, the goal, I want to help you guys make the most of your single years while you're single, however long that may be. Uh, my name is Connor Dimmick. I'm on staff with Campus Outreach, obviously. That's why they have us up here. Um, so this is my fourth year on staff. Uh, I'm over at Eastern Illinois University. Um, and before we get into the outline and all the points and everything... I wanted a good friend of mine to come up and be able to share just briefly um, some of her story and journey through singleness. And I think um, Laura Caponier is who it is, but before you come up, you're Laura. Just wanna, no, 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 before you come up, let me just, uh, let me prep you guys here. Uh, Laura's a good friend of mine. I think she's just done a phenomenal job at making the most of her single years. She was originally, um, after college, on staff uh, with Campus RH up in Minnesota for a couple of years at University of Minnesota and then at Northwestern. Um, and so if you're a girl in here from Minnesota region, there's a decent chance that uh, somewhere down the line, Laura has either directly or indirectly um, discipled somebody that's deeply impacted your life, which is really cool. Um, and so after a few years there, she went off to Thailand with CO and was there for a couple of years and just continued to give her life away. Um, and just very recently, uh, about six months ago-ish, five months, five and a half months, uh, she married the guy who's the best man in my wedding, um, and now she is at Eastern with me, and so we're getting to labor together, and she's just been uh, just the biggest blessing to our staff team, and so uh, I want you guys to go ahead and welcome up Laura. whether he's withholding something good from you because 
you're trying to follow Christ and you're single, it's easy to look at some of your friends who aren't following Christ and they're not single and somehow feel like maybe they have something better and is it really worth it to try and follow Christ in every area, even if it means sometimes I'm single and I'm lonely and I don't like it. Um, I also want to share this because um, in my years with CO and just seeing lots of students come through the ministry, there are several people's faces that come to mind, really sad stories, people who are leaders in our ministry, some of them were involved, like team leaders on a summer project, if you know what that is, who later in years after college end up walking away from the Lord, and one of the key elements in a lot of those stories was a friendship with a non-believer that over time grew into a romantic relationship that kind of pulled them away from other Christian community and ultimately pulled them away from Christ. I always thought, when I heard stories about people like that, I always thought that was stupid and why in the world would they leave God for something that's just not going to be long-lasting and fulfilling. Um, but in Thailand, I actually had a situation where I struggled with being attracted to a non-believer, and I wanted to share about that a little bit now because for some of you that are going to be single long-term, it probably is something you're going to have to face, and I just kind of want to be open about it and talk about it. So when I, I served in Thailand for a while, and we were starting a ministry at a new campus, and as part of starting the ministry there, we taught English on campus kind of officially. You know, professors would invite us in to teach their students, and it was a cool way for us to get access and meet people. One of the professors was a medical professor. Um, he was Buddhist, like all Thais, most or most every Thai is, but he was very favorable towards Christians, really liked the campus outreach staff and thought we should come in. So he started communicating with me a ton about when we were coming and setting up all these classes for us to teach. And over time, his messages to me were more personal, like just asking questions about my life. I could tell he was just really interested about me and wanted to get to know me more. And I just thought, well, this is great. We're getting connections on campus. It's awesome. But over time, I started to get worried because I noticed I'd be going to campus. And I was like, oh, I hope I get to see that professor. And it'll be fun to talk to him. I was like, wait, what? what's going on here? And just started to realize, I started to entertain thoughts about like, well, what if he asked me to lunch? That would be okay, because it would just like coworkers. And you know, he's really, he's not a Christian yet, but he has all these Christian connections. I bet he's going to become a Christian. It's kind of like if you remember Joe Rigney's talk about temptation, and in that definition, he talks about you create a false reality, and temptation will lead you to do that. And I started to see myself for about a month creating this false reality with this Buddhist professor which is crazy. I've been on staff for eight years with Campus Outreach. I thought of myself as a mature Christian, and here I am feeling attracted to this guy who is nothing near a Christian. And um, it was really convicting, because I always thought I was above that sort of temptation. Like, oh, every other less mature Christian struggles with that, but not me. I'm a missionary. I don't struggle with that, but I did. Um, eventually, God... The Holy Spirit just convicted me. I ended up talking to my director. We got someone else put in charge of communicating with this guy, and I just stopped responding to any of his messages and the temptation went away. So that was a huge praise how that worked out, and it really ended up not being a big deal. But it did a lot of my own heart to make me realize how much the having to wrestle with is God good and is he keeping me? You know, is there something better out there he's keeping me from? That's a real thing to wrestle with. And I want to encourage you now, while you have so much community and CO, to really fight to get friends and people around you who are going to remind you, God is good, God has the best things for your <laughs> life, and to start memorizing promises about God's goodness and fight for contentment and joy that God is really being good to you, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're employed, unemployed, whatever situation you are in life. Um, 
I'll just end with my verse that I really love. It's out of Psalm 73, which is a great psalm because it deals with the struggle of like, why do the wicked seem to be prosperous and comfortable and have these great lives, and then the righteous seem to be struggling and not doing well, which is an honest struggle that I think a lot of us have. And the psalmist ends it with kind of zooming out and God giving him an eternal perspective and him realizing, oh, I actually have the best thing. And the wicked might look prosperous, but they have a very short life and a terrible end. And so he ends Psalm 73 with these verses. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. So I really hope that you'll all be able to say, it is good to be near God, no matter what your circumstances, because it's true, and it is, and that's where we found it. Thank you so much, Laura. And that, uh, you'll see, is going to hit very close to the main point of this talk. Uh, so thanks for sharing that, Laura. And I wanted to give you guys a little bit of kind of the backstory for uh, my own life and where I'm at. And so uh, once upon a time, there was this girl, and I uh, thought she was really pretty, uh, athletic, just well-liked by a lot of people, everything. And um, I got to know her on a mission trip, and coming off of the mission trip, um, I was like, man, this girl's really cool. Like, I'm digging her, like, thinking about the possibility. And, and as the months are going on, we're growing as friends. I'm thinking, like, I could definitely see, like, dating being a possibility and so on. And, you know, like, again, time's going on. We start going out on dates, and you're probably thinking, like, okay, cool. I know where this story ends. He's got a ring on his finger. Beautiful wife, Hannah, sitting right here. But if that's what you're thinking, that's actually not the story that I was starting with. This was the story of me in high school with a different girl who, eerily similar circumstances, but that I liked for three and a half years. I liked this girl in high school for three and a half years. We started going out on dates. Six weeks later, the day before my 18th birthday, she broke up with me. And I didn't know at the time, but that started a season of the next seven years of my life. I was not exclusively dating a single girl. It was just seven years of famine, or whatever you want to call it. It was a long time. So senior year of high school, all four years of college, um, into my third year on staff, I was single. Um, and so I'm saying that just to let you guys know, like, uh, I think it can be easy sometimes for someone who's married to be given something like this. You need to be like, yeah, you don't know what I'm talking about. You don't know my struggles. But just know that I was, up until five weeks ago, the person sitting in the audience, um, thinking these things, having to battle these um, thoughts of just like, yeah, just not being content, being like, God, why is this happening? I'd love for this, um, yeah, to be married and all this stuff. And so I've so been there with you guys. and. Um, I've still been the guy that's <laughs> scrolling through the pages of Facebook and um, every month, sometimes every week, it's like another person like, oh, cool, so-and-so just got engaged. Like, oh, another buddy just got married. Awesome, man. I'm pumped for you. You know, like fighting to want to be excited, but really I'm thinking like, God, where's, when's my ship coming in? Like, what's, what's going on here? And so if you thought that, I've, I've definitely been there. I'm with you guys. Um, and so, yeah, if you're wondering about the most recent chapter of my story, I did indeed just get married five weeks ago today um, to Hannah. We actually just got off our honeymoon a week ago, and so this is all very fresh in my mind. And so during the course of the talk, I will also share a little bit of my infinite wisdom from being married for five weeks with you guys. <laughs> um, but just even some of the expectations I had when I was single to what it's really been like, I want you guys to be um, in the loop on some of that stuff. And so... The way that we're going to go through this, it's a two-part talk, that front and back page are two different parts. And so part one, 
is going to be fighting for contentment and singleness. Fighting for contentment and singleness. And so I really think um, it's going to be really difficult to move on to part two uh, if you're not having success in part one. And so once you can really start to be at peace with the state that God has you in at the current time, then you'll be able to move on to part two, which is making the most of the single years. Um, and so just one more quick preface before I'm going to pray for us and then we'll get into it. But um, I think just the reality is for each of you guys that's sitting in here, like you have no idea whether you're going to be single for another six months or another 60 years. Um, and, and this reality too has just been synced in recently. Like even if you do get married in the next couple of years, there's no guarantee that you're going to be married until the day you die. Like that's something Hannah and I have just recently been talking about. It's like we're really excited that we're married and it's been cool and awesome and everything. But we have zero guarantees from God that I won't get cancer, you know, like long before she dies and I, God takes me home. Or she gets killed in a car accident and I'm here next year at New Year's conference single again. And so I just want you guys to realize like, like that's a terrible thing to think about. I don't like that. But just the reality that we don't have any guarantees that there won't be more seasons of singleness in our lives. And so this is probably, it has possibility to be much more far reaching than just over the next couple of years of your lives. And so with that, let me go ahead and pray for us. And then we'll get for the outline. Father, I just thank you. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for this conference. I thank you for all the things that we've uh, been learning, especially just from the main rallies and a lot of things that Joe was saying have just been sticking out to me. And even just back to the first talk, Lord, uh, just so many of the different things about the good gifts that you give us. And I think um, I've felt it easy to resonate with, man, it's easy to think of pumpkin pie as a good gift or Chick-fil-A or playing basketball with my buddies as good gifts. Um, but God, I'll be the first to confess that a lot of times when I was single um, and wanting to be in a relationship, I wasn't seeing that as a good gift from you. And, um, and it was a fight, and I would have to wrestle with my soul about these things. And so, um, Lord, I thank you for that season, even just for this opportunity to be able to speak to the people in this room who um, are probably battling a lot of the same lives that I was. And I pray that this could just be uh, a time where we look to your word and we really gain a lot of hope and encouragement and comfort. Um, and I pray at the end of the day that just what Laura was saying, Lord, that we would find our contentment ultimately in you, God, and not in our circumstances. Um, and I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, alrighty, so part one, fighting for contentment. Fighting for contentment is the first one. Um, and so basically the way that we're going to go through this part one is I just want to kind of like let you guys into my life just about when I was single, I just tried to come up with, well, I did this recently, thinking back over my single years, but... Um, thinking about like, man, what were the top like five lies that I found myself believing most often? Um, and then what are countering truths for them? So I think for me, it was just when I could identify some of the specific lies that I was believing, it made it that much easier to find specific truths in scripture to be like, man, that's not true. Like, here's what reality is. And so, uh, I'm guessing you guys will be able to resonate at least on a couple of these. So the first lie, uh, was that God doesn't care about this as much as I do. God doesn't care about this as much as I do. And so I think it was easy for me to believe, like, yeah, I'm sure God cares about this. Like, he's got every detail of my life in his hands. But um, I think the that last part of it, like, he doesn't care about it as much as I do. Like, he's not in, as invested in this thing as I am. Like, and, and yeah, I just kind of felt like God was more concerned about other details of my life. And this, he was kind of content to let it just kind of, like, ride out. Um, and so there, there's just a lot in me that was like, man, if I don't, like, take this upon myself, like, kind of like, sorry, God, I'm just gonna have to make these decisions on my own because you're not intervening and doing anything crazy here, um, was just something that I struggled to believe, or I did believe, um, but the truth is, a couple of truths I'm gonna share, first one is from Psalm 139, 
and it says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. And so just taking myself back to think about this, what the psalmist is saying, that, man, God, your thoughts towards me are more than the sand, more than there are grains of sand. And so, once again, uh, last week, Hannah and I were on our honeymoon. We were in Cancun, uh, which meant that we were spending a lot of time on the beach just with a lot of sand. And so I wanted to just, like, think about this more, because I've read this verse in Psalm 139 plenty of times, but just started thinking about this more. And so I just thought about, like, okay, if I scooped up, um, yeah, just, like, a little pile of sand, like, and if you were to be, like, try and count every single one of those grains of sand, like, that would take you a good little while, just the amount of sand that you could fit in your hand. And then you zoom out a little bit, and it's like this little stretch of beach just from there to, like, whatever, 15 feet to the ocean. You're like, that is just a crap ton of sand. Like, that's just a lot of stuff. And you zoom out a little bit more, and you're like, this, this is actually the resort we stayed at. Not to make you guys jealous in any way, but it was, it was amazing. Uh, but anyway, back to the talk here. Uh, I was like, dude, if I tried to count the number of grains of sand just on this little stretch of beach behind our resort, it's like I could have spent our entire week-long honeymoon like without sleeping, eating, going to the bathroom, whatever, and I wouldn't have come close to counting the number of grains of sand. And then I zoomed out even further, and it's like, dude, you think about all the sand like on all the beaches, under the ocean, in the Sahara Desert, just all this stuff. It's like, and the psalmist is saying, God, your thoughts about me, if I could somehow count all the grains of sand there were, your thoughts about me are more than that. And I just can't even wrap my head around that. But the one thing that I did walk away was like, okay, however much I think I think about these things in my life, God cares infinitely more so about my life, about these details, about my relationship status, all these different things than I do. And so I think I just need to keep taking my soul back to God. I just trust that your thoughts um, towards me in this are even more than my own. Um, and then one more passage that was just helpful for this specific lie was from Matthew 6. Um, 25 through 34 and basically I'll just kind of paraphrase it for you guys where he's just saying like um, Jesus is saying that man God takes care of the raven he feeds the ravens he clothes the flowers of the field like he takes care of these things that are just like of this much importance in God's eyes like how much more so is he going to be faithful to take care of your needs whether it's food or shelter or relationships or whatever like God is just faithful um, and he's going to take care of your needs uh, the second lie uh, was kind of similar to this i was kind of thinking like okay maybe god does think about this stuff but uh, if he does he doesn't want what's best for me so the lie is that god is holding out on me um he's holding back what's best and i think again like the scenario that keep playing kept playing through my mind was when i was single just times that i'd just be on facebook and i'm sure you guys have all been there you're just like on your homepage. it's just like friend after friend like all right cool find a girlfriend like awesome got engaged married all this stuff and i think it was just hard like at times to really think like, God, what, you know, like, why is this not happening for me? And even like the prideful thought of kind of feel like I'm pursuing you more than that person is. And they're in a relationship. Like what's, what's going on here? Um, why, why are you holding out on me? That's what I was struggling with. And so, uh, there's two verses there in your outline, I think, but we're just going to go to first one is John 10, 10. Jesus came to give us life to the full. Um, the one I want to spend a little bit more time on is Romans eight thirty two. <clears throat> And that passage says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so the argument being made here is like, man, if you think from God's perspective, like what's the most precious, most valuable, most worthy thing that he has, and it's his relationship with his son, Jesus, and he has already proven like his absolute love for us in that, man, 
the thing that God would value like the most out of anything in the universe, like he's already said, hey, I'm willing to give this for your good. Like I'm willing to sacrifice my son. I'm willing to be separated from him um, because it's for your good. And so if God's willing to give like the most precious thing to him for my good, like how could I believe that he wouldn't be willing to give something so much lesser if it was absolutely for my good? And so I think just the reality is that God has proven his love for me uh, in that. And so I can trust that if there's something good for me, um, he's already given the most valuable thing. Of course, he'd be willing to give something lesser. He's already proven it. <clears throat> Line number three. Um, and this is just, I don't think anybody's ever like said this to me like verbatim or anything, but just like this kind of vibe that I've picked up from others is that um, you're not a complete person until you're married. Or the idea of you're not a totally mature adult until you're married. It's like, yeah, well, you're still single. You're, you know, you don't really understand life. Like that kind of vibe. And it's like, gosh, I hate this. Um, but I think just this one, like, is probably a lot easier just to handle. It's like, okay, well, let me think through some examples in Scripture. It's like, well, uh, Jesus and the Apostle Paul, uh, they were both single, and the Bible doesn't seem to be saying anything about them being incomplete or immature. And so any thoughts you have about Jesus not being, like, a mature enough dude, it's like, okay, that's probably not true um if there's anyone you know like obviously jesus is god so it's like he's not missing out and for paul it's like if there's anyone in scripture that's kind of held up as an example to to imitate it's the apostle paul um and so i think they're just really solid counter examples it's like it's okay to be single they're not missing out on things um and even the perspective like paul shares in philippians 4 he's just saying like man i have learned in whatever situation i am to be content uh, he talks about facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's talking about I can be content in all situations <clears throat> because my contentment is in Christ. It's not in my circumstances. It's not in having a lot of things or little things. <clears throat> it's not in being married or singular, all these things. Like, contentment isn't about circumstances in any way. It's about his relationship with Christ. And because he knew he had Christ, he's like, I've learned to be content whatever I am in whatever situation. Uh, line number four is, man, I've tried to be content in singleness and I just can't do it. I've worked at it and it's just not happening. It's not possible, you know? And, um, I think I thought that like, there'd just be times when I'm like really struggling with it and I pray about it at night and I wake up the next morning and it's like, dang, man, I still desire a wife. Like God, what the heck? I prayed about it last night. Why isn't it gone yet? <laughs> and, uh, I would say the countering truth is, uh, you're right. You can't. Um, and <laughs> I totally forgot to correct this. I made this mistake with the last one. So there's one more spot to it. It's, you're right, you can't, but God can. Uh, yeah, if you don't have the God can part, that's a pretty hopeless, terrible truth. It's not really encouraging. Um, so <laughs> make sure you write that in there. I have to correct it after the first one. No, that's totally me. Um, so yeah, you're right. You can't change your desires. You can't just like make yourself start being content or whatever. But God really can. And so I wanted to give you guys two specific like pieces of advice for this. Um, the first one is probably like the most obvious thing in the world, but I'm amazed at how little uh, I did this faithfully, is just to pray about this. <clears throat> um, and again, I would say I think that example was just true for me, that there'd be times where it's like, I'm feeling this, I prayed about it, and then I'd like, wake up the next morning and it wasn't gone. I'd be like, didn't work, like whatever, God's not hearing these prayers. And... I think just I needed to grow in like learning to persevere in prayer and just praying about like I would encourage you to like pray about this every day multiple times a day if you have to like whenever those thoughts of just feeling like 
dissatisfied, discontent. Like, ask God to help you be content um, in who He is. And I think James 4, 2 was really encouraging for me in that. It just says, uh, you do not have because you do not ask. Like, the reason you don't have is because you're not asking for it. Um, I think it's just a super simple verse with, like, massive ramifications. It's like, if I think about this, it's like, of course God desires for me to be content in the situation that he's placed me in in the first place. He's not just, like, some big meanie up in the sky. It's like, oh, put him in a situation where he's screwed and he can't be happy. Like, ha, huh, look at that. Like, that's just not how God operates. Um, and so he's got good plans for me. And so if I'm asking him to be content, like, I think he's going to be eager to grant that. But I would really encourage you guys just to continue to ask him. Because um, one thing I've just seen from my life is that, like, God will allow trials sometimes just to be extended um, a lot of times for the purpose of just drawing me close to him. Like, when things are all going right and peachy keen and everything, I'm typically less likely to be just running to God and uh, feeling dependent upon him. But when things are going hard, when trials are, like, extending, uh, there's just a lot more in me that's like, dude, God, I need you, I need you. And so it just kind of ushers me into fellowship with him a lot more often. Um, so, yeah, I would just pray that... Uh, God, or yeah, pray that God would help you to see singleness as a privilege and, like we are saying, as a good gift directly from his hand, just like pumpkin pie or basketball or whatever else. Um, the second piece of advice uh, along this just has everything to do with perspective. And this is something that holds true not just for relationship status stuff, but just all of life. And so it goes like this. Um, if you're fighting to enjoy something or someone, then your focus needs to be on that thing or on that person. If you take your eyes off of the object or the person, you're going to lose the joy. And so basically in layman's terms, I'm just thinking like, think about your best friend and <clears throat> you guys are hanging out. It's enjoying time together. Like, okay, so for me, with like, I'll say Mikey, uh, my husband, like we're hanging out. We just really enjoy time together. If I were to be sitting there like trying to kind of pull myself out of just enjoying Mikey and just thinking like, are we having fun right now? Like, is this, are we having a good time? Like on a scale of one to 10, how much fun am I having with Mikey? I would be like totally missing out on the situation and probably not enjoying it. Uh, but when my focus is on Mikey and just listening to him, asking him questions about his life, like he says something funny, I laugh. You think about it afterwards, like, gosh, we had a really fun time. That was cool. Um, but when you kind of like step outside and try and analyze what's going on, you just miss out on the thing that created the joy. And so that works the same way with God is that I would say the, the second piece of advice is fix your eyes on Jesus um, because he's going to be the source of the joy, the source of the contentment, the peace, is that when you're looking at Jesus, fixing your eyes on him, um, he's the thing that produces that in the first place. And when you take your eyes off of Jesus to look in and say, man, am I satisfied being single? Am I content right now? Am I okay? Is, is life going good? You're taking your eyes off of the thing that's producing it, and so you're, the joy is not going to be there, if that makes sense. Um, so I just want to encourage you guys, yeah, fix your eyes on Jesus. Keep asking him to help you be satisfied and content in him. Um, and real quick, I just wanted to say, I think this is probably just a clarifying note that needs to happen. Um, in case you guys hear me saying anything else, I want you to hear me say this right now. Desiring a spouse is not wrong. Desiring a spouse is not wrong. Being anxious about these things, not finding contentment in who God is, those things are not good. Um, but desiring a spouse is not. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, everything, by prayer and petition, let your requests be made known to God. And so I just want you guys to know, like, it is totally okay to be asking God for a spouse 
and then in the same breath to be saying like, but God help me to be content with where you have me right now. Like we just, it's a really good thing to lay a request before God and to say, not my will, but your will be done. I think we just have a phenomenal precedent in Jesus for that. Like he's sitting there saying, God, please take this cup from me. I don't want to take on the cross, but help me to be content in the situation that you have me and help me to be ready to take on the cross at the same time. So, um, yeah, I want you guys to feel the freedom. Like you can be praying for a spouse and at the same time asking God to help you be content in your current situation. Um, and then line number five, uh, and this one's tough, man. I've just heard this like kind of thrown around in Christian circles, like just from different people. Um, and that's once you're satisfied in God alone, then he'll bring someone special into your life. Now I think this just kind of carries with it a couple assumptions. One is that God's blessings are earned by our contentment. And the truth is that God's blessings are never earned by our contentment. That's just not how the gospel works. Uh, we're blessed on the merit of Christ Jesus. It's not like, hey, once you reach a certain level of sanctification, then you'll get that job you're looking for. Or then you'll get that spouse. Like That's just not the way God works. We're blessed on the merit of Christ, not, around, not on our own works. Uh, but I think the other th- assumption that this statement carries <clears throat> is that God is a means to a higher end. It's like once you're satisfied in God, then you'll get the real prize of getting to have that spouse that you really want. Um, and the truth is that, man, God is never a means to our end. He is only ever the end to which all other means must point. As soon as you make God a means to, to another end, that thing is an idol, and it's, it's wicked, and it's just going to crumble, and it's going to destroy you. And so God needs to be the end. Um, anything else is a means to him. And so this really gets at the heart of the issue. Um, again, I was saying, like, when Laura hit on that in her testimony, this really is uh, if you're zoning out for any of the rest of uh, the talk after this or any point before this, like, don't zone out on this. Like, hear this, that being satisfied in Christ is the only real hope for this. Being satisfied in Christ <clears throat> is the only real hope. And that's for contentment and singleness or any other seminar that you've gone to over the last couple of days is that um, your hope for depression, for addictions, for boldness and evangelism like all those are rooted in being content in christ that's the fountain out of which everything else flows and so um yeah just to give you guys like an insight into uh, again my five weeks of being married uh, just something i've already learned in that quick of a span of time is that being content in in marriage is every bit as much work as being content when i was single i don't know if that's like a surprise you guys or whatever but it's every bit as much work and being lonely in marriage is every bit as possible as being lonely when I was single. You know, I think almost even scarier because it's like, yeah, I thought these things were going to be taken care of when I got married, but it's just the reality is like those are absolutely still possibilities to be present, and you need to keep fighting for that. And it just goes to show that it's not about the circumstances. It's about what's going on in my heart and if I'm satisfied in Christ because then I can be content in singleness, marriage, whatever. And so he really is the only lasting source of contentment. Um, And yeah, I just think, man, if you're not satisfied in Christ as a single person, uh, marriage will not be a solution to your discontentment or your loneliness. And if you try to make marriage your solution, uh, you're only going to be disappointed and you're only going to crush your spouse with those impossible expectations. Like marriage was never meant to satisfy the weight of your expectations. So lock that one away. and two more uh, just quick truths. Actually, not quick. I'm going to spend a little bit of time on these. These are like two of my favorite verses. And so I think just going along with this point of like being satisfied in Christ, I would just really encourage you guys like find some of those promises of God that really do point you back to that. Um, and these have been two of just my top go-to verses 
that got me through life when I was single and are still getting me through life as a married man. Um, and so there's Psalm 107.9 and Psalm 16.11. <clears throat> and Psalm 107.9 says, For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Uh, the verse is just phenomenal. It just, I mean, it's so simple and it's just so good. It's just like, man, this is what's going on in my heart. I'm longing. He's saying, man, I am the only one who can satisfy all your longings. Like marriage cannot satisfy your longings. The right guy, the right girl, the perfect job, a certain person's approval, like those just can't get the job done. Like he alone satisfies the longing soul. And just the reality that in that it's not like a, he might satisfy the longing soul. He, he could, he potentially will. It's like, it's just saying it as a declaration, like, he satisfies the longing soul. It's a done deal. And so take your longings to him, not to marriage and all these other things. Um, and then the second one is, yeah, Psalm 16, just says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I just think, when I, when I thought about, like, when I was single again, thinking towards marriage, it's like, man, what are the things that I'm really looking for and, and that's it, like, man, fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. Like, I was looking to marriage at times to fulfill those things. And God's saying, like, bro, you don't need to wait till you're married. And, and marriage can't provide those things anyway. Like, again, fix the eyes of your soul, the gaze of your soul on me. Like, I'm the one that provides these things. And so I think those are just verses that I've just clung to, prayed through. Like, God, help me to believe this is true, that you really do satisfy my soul, unlike anything else. Um, so, um yeah, I hope that's helpful for the, the lies and the truth part. Um, and so if, and I, again, I would just encourage you guys, like, find verses like that that just, like, speak to your soul. It's like, God, you really are the thing that satisfies nothing else because um, that is the solution that you're looking for. And so as <clears throat> you're fighting this battle, hopefully you're growing in contentment and being single over time. Um, <clears throat> you might be asking, like, okay, I can be all right with where God's had me. Like, I'm okay with this. Like, what do I do? What are some practical things I can do to make the most of my single years? And so I'm going to give you one thing that's just kind of like the backdrop of singleness. It's just a reality. And then four things I would really encourage you to do. Um, and that'll be it for our time. So the backdrop uh, of singleness is that you have more resources at your disposal than any other time in life. <clears throat> you have more resources at your disposal than any other time in life. And so you've got more time. Uh, which is sweet. You can go on random trip, mission trips, road trips. You can evangelize and disciple uh, more people with your fuller capacity. I think you can just spend more time with Jesus. I think that was one thing I was so thankful for in my single years was just the opportunity to spend like an hour and a half to two hours every day just loving, reading my Bible, memorizing scripture, spending time in prayer. And um, I think just, you guys probably know, just as life goes on, you're only going to get busier and busier and busier with more and more responsibilities um, of, yeah, a full-time job or marriage or kids or whatever it is, and just more and more things are going to be wanting your time. And so I would say while you have more free time, so like crazy to your relationship with Jesus, like that is going to continue to bear fruit um, in your life for the rest of your life. And so so did that like crazy. But, yeah, you got more time. You got more energy. Um, <clears throat> and just you're able to focus on fewer things. That passage there, 1 Corinthians seven thirty-two through 34, basically is saying, Hey, the unmarried man, the unmarried woman, they're able to focus on the things of the Lord, and they're not distracted by other things. They can just throw themselves wholeheartedly um, at what is pleasing to God. Whereas the married man and the married woman, they, they're a little bit divided. They're like, man, I want to please God, but I also want to please my spouse. 
Um, and so, and that's that's a good thing as well. Like marriage is definitely lifted up highly in scripture and I'm obviously a big proponent of it. I'm excited. Um, but there is a reality in that like when you're single, there's just the freedom just to throw yourself at one thing with, with a lot of focus and you're not kind of distracting all these different things. So I would say make the most of that. And then the third thing, so there's time, more time, more energy, and then more money is the third one. And uh, just to clarify, you're probably not just rolling in dough as a college student. I'm not necessarily saying this is the most money you'll ever have in life. That might be depressing for some of you as well. Um, but the, the more money thing is that you probably have less expenses. Like I could live off of raw potatoes and ramen while I was single and it was great. And that was uh, about it. Rent was super cheap. You just pack a bunch of guys into a house. So anyway, you can just live off of less expenses. So I would say, um, yeah, while it's the case, like enjoy that fact and make the most of it. So that's kind of the backdrop of singleness. Four things I would encourage you to do. Um, to make the most of your single years. The first one is to develop deep friendships with others of the same gender. <clears throat> develop deep friendships with others of the same gender. Um, and so, yeah, what's it, man? You just have opportunities just to make a ton of memories and develop really deep friendships. And so the first one there is uh, go on some road trips. Like, make the most of this. I tried every single summer when I was single once I got my license just to go on a different road trip. And I got to do a whole lot of them. I picture Kyle and Stefan were the MCs the first bit of the conference, and we were uh, college buddies together. And so this was, it was just May one summer, and we're like, shoot, we got a few weeks till Summer Mountain Project. You guys want to go <laughs> go on a trip to Colorado? And we're like, yeah, let's do it. So we did, and um, I think those are just some of the most fond memories I have, like the stories that we still continue to tell. Um, and so I'd say, yeah, go on road trips. Um, another thing I would really encourage you to do is just to dig deep into each other's lives through accountability. Um, you have a really cool opportunity just to have super close friendships with people and to have people who really know you and are living with you and can see things in your life and can point things out in your life. And I would say that if you don't take personal responsibility for your sin right now, um, you're really going to feel it in your marriage. Like in marriage, there's just no hiding of anything like the annoying tendencies you have, the biting sarcasm that you had with your guy friend that I had with my guy friends like comes out and then it hurts your best friend and she's crying and it's like gosh man I wish I would have dealt with this while I was single and like I would say just man take advantage of the fact that you have people who can lovingly blow you up about your sin and you can get it out of your life before um, you end up doing things that hurt your best friend that you know it doesn't even take long yet five weeks and plenty of time plenty of tears already between us um, it's just true man I mean, I'm sinful she's sinful and so I'd say dude kill that stuff as, as much as you can before um, yeah before you get married and just apart from marriage like for Christ likeness for sanctification sake like that's um, a super big deal so take advantage of accountability and then <laughs> Third point, is, uh, third point is have sleepovers. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about it afterwards. Like, I don't really know why I put that in there. But I think this is what I was thinking. It was like, man, what are some things since being married that I'm like, I just missed? And I was like, dude, sleepovers are so fun, and they're so easy to do when you're single. It's kind of like, dude, let's get a bunch of guys together, grab some pizzas, have a movie night. And uh, I don't know. Like, it's just a really fun thing. Again, like bonding. You just create a lot of fun memories. And it's not that you can't have sleepovers when you're married, but just, you know, it gets, it gets tougher. And so I'd say have sleepovers. It's awesome. Um, sorry. The, uh, the next point is, hey, develop solid friendships with members of the opposite gender. Um, yes. 
solid friendships with members of the opposite gender. So I'd say, guys, man, spend time learning to build friendships with girls. Girls, spend time learning to build friendships with guys. Um, and I, w- I want you guys to know, like, friendship really is the foundation of every solid marriage. Um, and so if you don't have a solid friendship, like, you're just going to have a really, really rocky marriage. It, just the reality is, like, marriage is probably, like, 95% friendship. Like, we're just friends who are going on mission, doing the same thing. And so I think you just need to, you really want to learn to develop friendships with the opposite sex. And especially you guys who haven't had sisters growing up or you girls who haven't had brothers growing up, like guys and girls just operate differently. And so the way that I would kind of joke and be sarcastic and just be rougher with my guy friends, like just isn't as loving (laughs) to do that with Hannah. And so I think um, just take advantage of those friendships to help you grow um, and learning how to relate with the opposite sex. Uh, but I would also say the second reason to really develop relationships and friendships with members of the opposite sex is uh, for sanctification purposes. So even if you never ended up getting married and this wasn't prepping you for that, I would say you have a lot to grow, uh, to grow in from members of the opposite sex. And just as we were going through in Genesis, like saying, man, God has created us, uh, male and female, in his own image. That means that there are ways that girls reflect God in a way that guys don't. And there are ways that guys reflect God in a way that girls don't. And so if you aren't engaging in having healthy friendships with members of the opposite sex, like you're kind of missing out on an opportunity to be able to understand God in different ways. And it's just one of those things like, yeah, long before marrying Hannah, like I just am really thankful for the opportunities I had to be to grow and becoming more gentle and more sensitive and more encouraging from friends like Jasmine Lockett, Jen Barks, Jamie Nettleton, Rachel Janes, just some of those girls just have really helped shaped me a lot before being able to go in to marriage. And I think the same thing for Hannah. Like, I'm so thankful for the guys in her life that helped her grow in leadership and boldness and courage. Um, guys like Brent Stong and Trace Trebilco, Jordan Nelson, David Sanderson. Like, yeah, I'm just so thankful for the way God's used those guys to chisel her and the way that he's used friends of the girls in my life to chisel me uh, to get us ready for marriage. Uh, the... Fourth one? Yeah. Or whatever. Don't worry about those numbers. Uh, develop a personal vision for your life. Develop a personal vision for your life. And under that, don't believe the lie that life really starts once you're married. So I would just say, yeah, have a direction that you're headed as a single person. Um, and even as I'm going through this, like, this is obviously super important for everybody in the room, but kind of like an extra warning just for girls. I feel like at least in my experience growing up, like guys, it's kind of pounded into their head a lot more. Like, hey, if you're going to lead a family someday, you need to have a vision for where you're taking your spouse, where you're taking your family. Like, you're driving that train. But I feel like it's kind of underemphasized for girls. Kind of, there can be the temptation just to kind of like float along until you get married and then you hop on board with the guy's vision. But um, I think Laura just a great example. Like, if she just hadn't done much to sow to personal vision for her life. She would have just been kind of floating along for a decade, but instead she just said, man, God, you've got me single for now. Like, let me throw myself wholeheartedly at what you have in store for me. Let me have a personal vision to make disciples. And there's just like people upon people who have come to Christ as a result of her, who've grown in their relationships with Christ. And um, I'm just really thankful for it. And so I just want to encourage you guys, develop a personal vision. <clears throat> um, don't wait until you get married to really start living with purpose. Uh, and then the second thing on that is, uh, it's only going to make it easier to make a decision about a future potential spouse. I think just the reality is you're not trying to yoke up with somebody who's not got the same vision as you. And um, 
Yeah, it was the same reason why I just asked Hannah just a ton of questions about um, doing missions abroad. Like, I have a deep desire to want to be able to do that uh, someday, and so potentially in the near future. Uh, and so I was peppering her with all kinds of questions about, like, having a desire to do this because if that wasn't something that was going to be within her capacity, it's kind of like, man, this is just going to be a constant source of friction and frustration for both of us. If I'm constantly wanting to go, she's constantly wanting to stay. And so I would just say, like, man, have a personal vision and then, like, marriage really does become just, like, you're going this way, you find someone else who's running that way, you hold hands, and you run that way together. Like, that's what marriage is, kind of. You just got friends who are running the same way, same vision. Uh, so, yeah. And then the last thing, I would say hang out with married couples, especially ones with kids. Hang out with married couples, especially ones with kids. Uh, and then the two things under that. First, uh, ask them what it takes to be a good husband, wife, father, mother. Um because the reality is these traits aren't just going to pop up in your life overnight when you get married. And so, man, I would say take the time to ask them, like, hey, what does it really take to be a good mom or dad or husband or wife? And kind of, like, jot down a list. And then go to your, uh, your accountability partner that we were talking about, develop accountability partners, um, and say, like, hey, you know my life. Here's this list of things that this person is saying is important to have. Like, where on this list am I, like, struggling? Can you help me see? Just expose these things to me. It's like, hey, you really need to grow in these three things, like, let's develop a plan together to be able to grow in that. And so I think that's just a healthy way to help move you along to prepare you for marriage. Um, and I think the, the second thing, yeah, I just had the opportunity to hang out with um, the Mayhans and the Rogers. I don't know if you guys know them at all, but they've both got kids. And I've been the single dude on staff hanging out with the married families for the last three years up until this year. And uh, what I noticed was that whenever I was hanging out with them, there were two things that happened. This is this last point. It can or second to last point, it can both cast an exciting vision and serve as a healthy e-break for you. Um, and I'll explain that. And that I think there were times I'd be hanging out with Zach and Sheffy and Riz and stuff, and it's like, oh, man, he's you know, so cute. Like, I can't wait to have a, a little kid of my own and have a family and him doing this cute little thing, saying just, I don't know, do what? Just like his dad, you know, with the East Tennessee accent, whatever. It's like, oh, it's sweet. Um, but then there's other times I'd be hanging out with them and it is just mayhem. They're just the kids are being like messy and just obnoxious and loud. It's, mom, 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 mom. it's like, you know, I could I could be okay with being single for a little bit longer. Like it's you know, there's things that are cool about it. Um, but I think again, hanging out with them just gave me a realistic picture of like this that's gonna be a lot of work. You've got a good thing in being single, like you can enjoy this a little bit more. And when that time comes, God will give me the grace to deal with uh cute little regrets. So um, yeah, hang out with married couples. And so I hope that was helpful. And I want to end just exactly what I said, like where we started, the thing that was in the middle, because again, you could forget everything else. Like this is the thing that you need to hear is that ultimately the way that you make the most of your single years and the married years is by being satisfied in Christ alone and then letting the rest of your life flow out of that. Like that is the thing, circumstances aside, that's the thing that gives contentment. Uh, if you don't have that, you're not going to be content in any situation. So let me pray for us, and then you guys can do whatever you do until the rally. So, uh, Father, um, God, thank you again just so much for this conference. And, Lord, I know uh, it, it really is like a fire hydrant in the face just of information uh, of all the rallies and talks and one-on-ones and meetings and seminars and um I'm sure everyone in this room is just feeling uh, just a, a bit overwhelmed with the amount of information. And so, uh, God, thank you for their faithfulness to show up and to want to keep learning and taking notes. And I pray that it would be helpful even just to be able to look back on 
in the weeks following this conference, they'll look back and be like, oh, okay, now that I've time to process, like, I understand that point. Um, and so I pray that we would take time to let this stuff soak in over the next couple of weeks. Um, and ultimately, just in this area, Lord, that we would be able to see singleness as a gift from you, and we'd be able to use the extra time and energy and focus that we have in our single years just to be able to throw them um, at you and at things that are pleasing to you. Uh, and I pray that we could just have a ton of joy from it, and that for these people, whoever does end up getting married, they'd be able to look back and be able to say, man, I didn't waste my single years. I'm thankful for the way that God allowed me to use them. So we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming, guys. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach Minneapolis. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at newyearsconference.com.